This is CliffCentral.com. Welcome to the Renegade Report. I'm Jonathan. And Ramon is present. And it's a glorious time in South Africa. We have uh, on video a politician assaulting a journalist. Yes. Uh, the politician says it's a scuffle. Um, but when the throat, when the hand is around your throat, um, is it really a scuffle? Is it really a scuffle? Because the journalist um, took photos of him and asked him some questions. Yes. In and a public in, space. In near, near parliament. It's like. It's like Apparently he didn't know he was a journalist As if it's okay to assault people who aren't journalists It's like going to the, the restaurant And then the waiter assaulting you for asking for a steak Like no <laughs> like That's your job um, But anyway but I mean the leader of this politician Is called Julius Malema For our international followers And a lot, two weeks ago he had the speech And he says he wants to cut the throat of whiteness He did indeed say that um, In reference to removing A politician in a a rival city who is the mayor there because he is white. Right. Probably the only white mayor of a major city as far as I'm aware yes, in this country. He would be. So anyway, so Julius wants to cut the throat of whiteness. And what does his, his goons do? They just grab it. I mean, they can't even take orders properly, these little fascists. <laughs> I don't know what to say to that, Ramon. <laughs> well, just do it properly. I mean, just go full ISIS on the fucker. And then I'll, you know, believe you. Yeah, I, 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 should we be um, encouraging them, really? No, but I mean, how can we trust someone who doesn't, you know, who doesn't go through with what the leader says? How much of a communist are you? You're actually correct. I think Julia should be questioning Floyd's uh, loyalty to the uh, cause. I think Floyd should perhaps be executed <laughs> or sent to the gulag uh, in, you know, in, the, in Julius's uh, stronghold somewhere. Yeah. Because he didn't follow the orders correctly. Certainly. So to discuss all of this, um, all of this stuff and uh, to be a bit more serious about the situation that's going on in South Africa um, and specifically to international listeners who may have read a lot in the newspapers. Certainly there's been a lot of coverage around farm murders, around expropriation of land, around visas being offered by foreign countries and uh, people like Julius Malema, who uh, leads a party called the EFF. Uh, and uh, says racist things at every opportunity he gets. And we're going to chat today to Nick Monroe, who's a freelance journalist uh, in the U.S. He's also helped uh, Lauren Southern with some of her work towards uh, her production on all of the issues in South Africa that she was looking at. And uh, we just want to have a chat about his perspective on things uh, and our response to that and and. Uh, so we can get a little bit of clarity on all the issues. Hey, Nick, can you hear me? I can. Great. Uh, thanks for coming on the line all the way from Ohio in the U.S. And uh, obviously, we're here in Johannesburg in South Africa. I'm sure you've heard quite a bit of uh, what's happening in the country. Uh, and we really want to have this conversation to try and iron out some of the stuff that's true and some of it's that's a bit sensationalized on both sides um, of, of, of the sort of divide. Uh, so maybe we can start off with uh, you telling us what you know about South Africa. Basically, what the Western perception of South Africa is, is that the ruling government and their actions are perceived as justified given the past 
events of apartheid and the replacement of the people in charge during that interim transition. Hmm. So to have Lauren Southern basically give this other point of view for us Westerner and Western outsiders is really eye-opening because it really sheds a light on the situation for people that are, the, you know, the South African farmers that are impacted by these very, very, very one-sided policies being enforced. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So maybe we should go into, uh, there's two aspects to that, really. One is uh, farm murders, which is a massive issue, which has been ongoing for several years now. The other is, well, I'm sure what you're referring to, which is the expropriation of land without compensation, um, which is a more recent development uh, and as yet uh, is only an intention for a constitutional amendment hasn't yet taken place. So in other words, um, I think the farm murder side, we can definitely talk about in events that have definitely taken place and are ongoing. Um, whereas land expropriation, people being ta having land taken away from them has yet to happen. Uh, I have to argue about that, sure. actually. I, I saw pictures on Ian Cameron's Twitter feed that people are already staking claims to land. Yeah, uh, those that that is generally government land. So what I, I mean, the problem we have in this country is that the there is no real audit of who owns what land in this country. So you have these, uh, you know, uh, politicians saying that you know blacks only own two percent of all the land in South Africa, which is absolute bullshit. Of course, the government owns about uh, twenty three percent uh, urban land. More black people own urban land than rural land and then whites and more black people have no debt on their land whereas more whites have debt you know mortgages and things like that on their land so okay. there's a lot of land in i mean if you drive between the two major cities johannesburg and cape town it's 1000 it's almost a thousand miles and wow it's empty it's a semi-desert and empty there's shitloads of land all around you but it's just not great land to farm with and most people don't want to be farmers. So mm. what are you what you are referring to is you have this uh, political party called the Economic Freedom Fighters. Yeah, that's their real name. And their heroes are Hugo Chavez and uh, Fidel Castro. Stalin. And well not Stalin. They, they a little bit Stalin. Well, that, I mean their actions, yes, but they haven't specifically stated that. And a lot of these African nationalists from the seventies, you know, that fucked up their countries. And uh, <clears throat> and and their whole you know, reason for being is land. We'll take land away from the settlers, i.e. white people, and give it back to the black people. Um, so they have these little, you know, organize these little parties of, of people that go onto empty land, so to speak, and start putting up shelters, essentially. The police come, chase them off, maybe someone's get shot, and then we just carry on with life. But this, to me, is quite an ordinary thing in South Africa. It would be seen as very strange here in America. We have squatters that occupy abandoned buildings, but to have such a what seems like a war of attrition between these squatters that go into farmers' land mm. and having them get chased off, this back and forth really seems to wear people down. Yeah, I, look, I think the example you're referring to 
is was actually n- near the city. It it's, uh, was in a place called Centurion, which is between Johannesburg and Pretoria, uh, which are two cities about a hundred kilometers apart. Um, and that was they just found an open sort of uh, section of land. It, it's not a piece of farmland or anything. There haven't been major areas of farmland where this has taken place. Um, it, it's also important. Oh. Im- im- yeah. Yeah, okay, that's good to know, actually. Yeah, what's also important to know is, you know, we've got to be so careful of the sort of collectivist nature of of these things because that's the way the EFF, for example, talks. Uh, It's all about whites, blacks. Um, The reality is is, uh, that it's true that many farmers here are whites um, and specifically white Afrikaners. Uh, I know that they've, um, you know, gotten a lot of uh, attention in the media in the way this has been reported. but equally so, they employ thousands upon thousands of black workers, black farmers um, who are part of the process. Uh, anyone who's in, been near a farm or involved in farming knows that it's not a, a one-person thing. Uh, and many of those black workers and, and the black people who are involved in the farming um, are completely against uh, all of all of this, uh, you know, the, we we had recently. This was just the past week um, in uh, one of the provinces here, uh, basically one of the states. We 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 had a farm where the farm was set on fire because what had happened was uh, uh, some man was tra- trespassing on uh, the farm. Uh, a security guard saw the man trespassing. Um, the man had a panga which is essentially a very large knife uh, on him and uh, the security guard shot him and then the reaction to that was to make it a whole land issue and a whole bunch of sort of thugs rocked up and they set fire to the farm and subsequently to setting fire to that farm uh, the fire was then, which decimated the crop on that farm, uh, it was celebrated mm-hmm. by a couple of our politicians, specifically those on the very far left. And it turned out that the farm's actually owned by a black guy. Uh, it's, 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 it's it, you know, and, and of course it, it, it played into their narrative right until the point that it was pointed out that this farm is actually owned by some black dude. Right. And the security guard was black and the trespasser was black. So... Uh, if if you, I mean, so America has a lot of fake news, but here, like we we are the kings of fake news. As soon as yeah. it fits the narrative, people just jump on that bandwagon like it, like nothing else. I think that's what's going on. I mean, you the, you have the EFF really playing into this. Let's make it a whites versus blacks issue. But when it comes to farms, even if you know, I mean, there's the, the black farmers that are impacted by this, but even with the white farmers that get targeted for you know, land expropriation, their workers are also impacted. So, I mean, it's farming is not a one man thing. It's a, it's a whole, you know, business with employees. So I, I really think that this whites versus blacks narrative that is trying to be pushed really ignores that aspect mm. of this. Well, well, what, what, you know, what's so frustrating is, so the ec- economic freedom fight is this EFF party, uh, <clears throat> which Ramon has described quite well, uh, is run by this this guy called Julius Malema, and and you know he he 
regularly just stands up and says the most diabolical racist sort of comments, which would be unacceptable from almost any other politician. And certainly in any Western country, that'd be the end of him. I mean, he's, he's pretty much our David Duke. Um, but, <laughs> but, but, um, you, you know, the, the, he, he, uh, we are cutting the throat of whiteness. Yeah, he well, he said things like that before. He said, we won't kill white people yet. Um, you know, that, that's another comment of his. He originally, um, in his initial rise to, I suppose, fame, um, one of them at least, uh, he, he stood outside um, a, a, a courthouse uh, defending our previous president who's now been chucked um, and is going to be held on 783 corruption charges. He stood outside the courthouse singing a song um, which is basically translates to shoot, shoot the boer um, or kill the farmer. Um, <coughs> And, uh, you, you know, so this is the kind of uh, party you're dealing with. This is the kind of, these are the kind of people. But what's important and what's frustrating is that they've only ever received about 6% of the national vote. Um, they are, they are not particularly, or they should not be particularly powerful. But what is making them powerful are two things. Number one is, is that, the ruling party, which is the African National Congress or the ANC, which is Nelson Mandela's uh, party, uh, have been running the show for about 25 years. Uh, they, there are multiple issues with them. They're incredibly corrupt party. Uh, they've caused a lot of uh, problems within the country. Uh, but they have lost a lot of uh, support, certainly on the left side of the political aisle. And they feel that they lost that support to the EFF. So they've gone after the support. And this latest uh, uh, constitutional amendment that they passed, uh, which they are going to supposedly make, uh, was done in conjunction with the EFF, which they did, many political pundits think, in order to sort of head off the EFF at the polls. So that many people would go, well, the ANC is doing exactly what the EFF promised to do. So therefore, we might as well just vote for the ANC. Uh, Interesting. The, the, the other the other aspect to this is that we have a media. Uh, just before we started uh, formally chatting to you, we I think Ramon remarked to you that uh, the Huffington Post is considered center uh, politically in this country, <laughs> which uh, you you know is. I, is I, I find that yeah, I find that incredible. Yeah, it's it's laughable, but that's our media. Our media is very very left skewed, um, and they are not quick to call out. Uh, anything really, as long as they think that ultimately it fulfills their ideological agenda. And so Julius Malema has been very um, useful for them to push a certain ideological agenda. And so what he does is he pushes this extreme race narrative, um, this narrative of all the land was stolen from us, and, and we can go into the history a bit later, but that's historically incorrect anyway. Um, but he pushes this, this kind of agenda, and the media lets him run with it. They don't hold him to account at all, uh, and then they get to have the conversation in the middle of that kind of um, rhetoric. So they, they don't go all the way as far as he does, but they go, well, he's raised an interesting point. Let's carry on, and then that's all you see in the media for several months. Uh, Speaking of the EFF and, and media, I I see there was some someone named Floyd Shyambu Shavambu. of the EFF. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he, a deputy. He manhandled the journalist, and they got it on film. It happened today. Yeah, it happened right uh, well, two hours ago. So I mean, uh, just just to give some context, Floyd Shivambu is the deputy president of the 
EFF. Uh, he was at uh, a well-known university here called the University of the Witwatersrand. He was expelled for punching someone. And uh, a few years ago, he went to court because a, a journalist sued him because she, she, he called her a white bitch uh, through through uh, texts. So this is a, just a, another young. We call them Gucci communists. So they, they, you know, they sprout a lot of communism, and then they wear Louis Vuitton shoes and drive home in a Porsche. So he's just a, a young. Well, he's a thug, really, at the end of it. Yeah. And if, if a politician in the United States did anything like this, our politicians get condemned for much less than manhandling. Oh, no, we know. <laughs> we, we know, uh, you, you know, and on both sides of the aisle, in fairness. Yeah, but over here, there's something uh, we like to talk about, which is called the soft bigotry of low expectations. So it, it works like this. Because someone is black or because someone is marginalized, supposedly, or someone is local lingo, previously disadvantaged, uh, we allow them to get away with a lot more because they are angry at the world or they deserve sympathy. So they're lashing out out of, out of whatever because they're repressed. And it's often always black people, right? If, if, if a white guy had to do exactly the same thing, he would be in, not in jail tonight, but very close. Uh, this guy, hopefully they will lay charges. But if, if, here's the thing. If a black politician or a black person does something and a white person does something, the story is about the white person doing it. it it's very oh. rare. So we've, oh, yeah, we've in the media, we've in the got media. good examples. It's very rare. So, uh, we have good examples here in the United States with uh, male and female teachers, with the male teachers yes. having inappropriate relationships with students. And it's pedophilia. Yeah, but with the female teachers, everyone's like, oh, man, high five. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, I mean, have you seen some of those female teachers? Just say. <laughs> Remind me. <stop. laughs> um, there you go. There's the problem right there. But to give you an example, so we uh, have – we supposedly have freedom of speech, but uh, in our constitution, they then uh, talk about hate speech. Uh, and so the requirements for hate speech are actually quite quite extensive, although from our perspective, we're free speech absolutists, so we would uh, believe that there's no such thing. Um, but essentially, uh, in South Africa, a re requirement for hate speech is that it needs to be hateful to specific race, gender, etc., and it needs to be of imminent threat or incite imminent threat. Uh, unfortunately, what then happened is the government created uh, a sort of sub-law, which then uh, led to something called the Equality Court. And the Equality Court basically will, if you said something to me that I didn't like uh, or tweeted something or put something on Facebook, um, I could then complain to the Equality Court and you would be answerable to the Equality Court as a halfway measure to the constitutional court, which is essentially our version of the Supreme Court. Um, and the, this equality court will essentially give out fines and, uh, you know, admonish you in some way. So the example that the two examples that sort of popped to mind, one is we had a woman who a couple of years back now uh, posted on Facebook uh, it had been sort of the Christmas period and, and it's summer here. So lots of people on the beaches and there was a lot of litter on the beach after everyone had been there. 
and she posted something to the effect of, um, you know, the monkeys have been littering the beach. So she was being racist towards black people. Uh, because the majority I of the people, about this, yeah. the majority, her name was Penny Sparrow. You can, you can read up about it. So the majority of people on the beach were obviously black. This is a country of uh, 45 million people, 50 million people. And obviously the overwhelming majority of those people are black. She made this racist comment on Facebook. Um, and, uh, people went wild. Um, uh, part of that was pushed by, um, as official, policy by uh, the ANC party. So they used it as an election strategy. Um, but, but how horrifying. Y- yeah. Uh, we, and there were multiple people caught up in this. Uh, we can talk about all the examples, but just on her. So she was ultimately reported to this, this equality court. They found her guilty of, of hate speech, um, which is very tenuous, but no one has yet challenged it all the way up to the constitutional court. To, to be fair, it's, it's criminal nuria, not hate speech. Which also was a problem, but she was fined ten thousand dollars. Yeah, R- roughly ten thousand dollars. She's a think about a seventy-year-old woman with no job. Um, to the best of our knowledge, she hasn't yet been able to actually pay that, and she's in financial ruin. Um, now, you might, you know, some people might think, well, good, good for her. She got what she deserved. Um, but equally, no. there, there was a, there was a no, sure, but you understand. <laughs> People from different perspectives, but there's equally a guy who who um, went online in response to her. By the way, oh no, I'm not going to use the response. You going to not Velapi? Oh, you can use the Velapi example. Go oh, for it. so mm-hmm. Velapi, a guy called Velapi Kumalo, uh, a good friend of mine is actually suing him in court. By the way, uh, because he said in response to this Penny Sparrow Facebook post, he says we need to do to the whites what the Nazis did to the Jews. Ugh. That's what he put up on Facebook and. <laughs> So he was too reported. He was reported, and um, I don't know what happened, to be fair, but there, there wasn't a fine slap, issue. Slap on the wrist. Um, we, this man has disappeared. We haven't seen him in public. You say Penny Sparrow, everyone knows who it is. You say Velapi Kumalo, nope, no one knows who Absolutely. it is. So which one is worse, Nick, in your <laughs> opinion? I mean, I think monkeys might might win it, but, um, you know, the Holocaust. Yeah, and uh, suggest- I think. Yeah. I think re- re- replying to such to Penny Sparrow's, you know, grievance with a equally terrible grievance is the the sort of vicious cycle that South Africa finds itself in. For one, and mm. for two, this this issue is especially raw considering Count Dankula TV over in Scotland. Yeah, I'm looking at that. Unbelievable. Yeah, he just got a guilty verdict for teaching his dog the Nazi salute. Which so uh, was freaking hilarious, actually, but but uh, <laughs> it's 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 completely disturbing. Yeah, and we're so we're we're kind of you know on the same level of concern here when it comes to this issue, I think, and it, it makes me incredibly mad to see what happened to Count Dankula for simply teaching his dog a, a trick. The dog doesn't know what it's doing, and so with this sort of precedent being set it opens the door for equally you know very very tenuous sorts of accusations to be let through the legal door and and it's such a it's such a small and minute seeming court case but the sort of snowball effect that it can start for us here in the west mm. is horrifying well, well in the, the implications in the it's uk the that 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 ruling now sets precedent so um, because of how their legal system works, so you you're pretty much if you do something similar, um, it doesn't actually need to go 
to court. It's it's already it's it's essentially that the authorities can hold you as you've you've committed a crime because this has been decided previously to be something that's criminal. Um, but it, which is which is incredible. Yeah, it's it, it's incredibly disturbing. Um, so just to give you an idea that we <laughs> we've been kind of having that in South Africa for some time now, and. I think there's a incredible amount of self-censoring uh, amongst just the general population here, uh, amongst our, even our journalists. Uh, you, you know, to, just today with regards to that incident you mentioned, where the EFF uh, guy assaulted the journalist, um, there was a, a journalist who then turned around and said, "Well, they were too scared to retweet or comment on anything to do with the EFF because they were worried about the, the retribution that would ultimately come their way." Uh, and so th- this is the problem when you chill free speech is, is, you know, it's chilled for some people, not for others. And it creates this, this inequity in the playing field. Um, mm-hmm. I think, and it creates an environment. It creates an environment where people, I mean, are, 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 are put into submission. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, just to, I think, we don't want to get uh, – well, we can get sidetracked with pleasure, but I just want to get on to the – because we've discussed the land expropriation thing. Um, maybe just a little bit on that, which is that uh, I'm not denying it will happen. Uh, I'm, I'm, it's very up in the air as to how that process now goes along because the government's in a bit of a difficult situation. So they recently went on an international roadshow to try and raise money uh, for the country and investment. And all the foreign investors in the U.S. and everywhere else they've been have kind of said to them, well, how can you be expropriating land and essentially violating private property rights uh, and be asking us for, to, for investment? We're, we're not going to invest in somewhere that's going <laughs> to that's going to take away property rights. So they are going to have to make a decision between whether they want to go sort of full um, – retard basically um, which will collapse the entire country and economy in a similar pattern to what happened in Zimbabwe uh, or they will have to decide to uh, withdraw a little bit so we're not sure what's really going to happen with that but it is a great concern Uh, and maybe quickly we can just discuss the reaction on our side and your side to the Australians turning around and saying well they'd consider giving our farmers sort of fast-track visas of course. I think what Peter Dutton, uh, Home Affairs Minister over there in Australia, said really signals what the rest of the world is seeing from the outside looking in here. I would have to agree with him. I mean, he, he unlike Justin Trudeau of Canada, who decided that a white South African family couldn't go in, into the country on a refugee status because they – accused the family of boosting their uh, application with white supremacist propaganda or something about the issues in South Africa. And so to see Australia come out with such a very, very common sense sort of lens here is very telling. And I think South Africa's reaction to basically say, take that back, you know, and and basically want Australia – Australia to reverse and take back their statement is, is so telling about the perception, uh, the importance of perception on South Africa's part and the government. They don't want to be called out here. 
Yeah, no, we, we do have quite a, a schizophrenic state. Uh, you know, so on one hand, we've got affirmative action for 80% of the population, um, which is, is generally just a power grab for, you know, ne- uh, nepotistic political elites to get, you know, the best jobs in, in big corporations. That's essentially what it is. Unemployment hasn't changed fundamentally in 20 years. Uh, there's a lot of, there's a black middle class now, which is, is, you know, is privately going forward and is doing quite well. Uh, so, and then some of the rhetoric is also quite anti, anti-white, uh, all the time. And then when, when people call them out on it, they say, how dare you call us out on, on something that's not true. So there's a lot of schizophrenia, but there's, there's one problem with, uh, Mr. Dutton's statement is that there's about a quarter of all farmers are, are black in this country and, um, and they also get murdered, you know, on their farms. Um, so just, yeah. I mean, just to call out, for for me at least, just to say, you know, for white farmers only was a bit of a mistake. I would have thought all farmers. Uh, I know this is like the all lives matter versus you know white farmers lives matter, but um, I think that could have been a, a clearer distinction. I think I I would have to agree with what Ernest Rhodes. I I forget his name. Uh, Ernest Rhodes from no, Afri Forum. Yeah, he mm. basically said recent recently that these murders are being motivated by political rhetoric. Yeah. And in that sense, it makes the black and white, you know, narrative that they're trying to push an actual issue because people are acting on it. And I think with that sort of, you know, factor in mind, I have to kind of agree with the way Peter Dutton put it. Yeah, I mean, we we actually good friends with with Ernst. He's been on the show once, I believe, but we we know him very well. And I mean, that's his. I think some farm murder. I mean, let, let's give it a bit of perspective. There were last year, seventy four farmers murdered on their farm. Seventy four. We have a farm a murder rate of fifty a day. In this country, fifty fifty people a day get murdered. In this country. Oh, just. And the general sort general of population. Yeah, so general population, so nineteen thousand yeah. murders roughly a year. Yeah, in a fifty mm-hmm. million population, and seventy four of those nineteen thousand were farmers. Okay, and the reason why it's a problem that it seems small, but pro, was it pro rata? Uh, per capita. Per capita, that's the word. They're twice as likely to be killed than um, policemen. In this country, and and depending on whose statistics you read, seven to ten times more likely than the general population. So my risk, obviously, my risk today of being murdered is much higher than, say, an American. Um, but but a farmer's is 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 much greater than my risk even. So uh, that that certainly the farm murder problem is a very real problem and and one that has been ignored for far too long because it's not politically expedient. Yeah, but but another thing that the ANC doesn't care about anyone. With due respect, they don't care about white murders, black murders. On, on in Cape Town, there's a gang area called the. the uh, we call them coloreds, but basically they're mixed race, and and they have the highest murder rate in South Africa in a place called Nyanga, uh, and there's gangsterism there, and the, the the government just doesn't care. They 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 under resource that police station on purpose because the opposition controls that province. So it's not just the government not caring about white farmers. The yeah. government doesn't care about anyone at all. This this would be where, for example, the argument around genocide, uh, a white genocide, is 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 to be had. So, you know, we 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 will happily say there's a there is 
definitely a farm murder problem. Um, I happily agree that for the majority of the time, white farmers are being targeted. And certainly the most disturbing part of this is it's not just, you know, sort of theft and robbery or, or, and I'm, um, brutality. Yeah, so I'm, I'm careful to say it's not just murder. I know that sounds ridiculous, but it's often torture in association with either attempted murder or murder. Um, and there have been some terrible, terrible things that have been done to people for absolutely no reason. Some of them post-mortem, um, where people are killed and then their bodies are mutilated after they're dead. Uh, they, 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 there doesn't seem to be any justification for that. And I think that's where a lot of the... Um, uh, feeling comes from and a lot of the anger and also a lot of the belief that this is motivated by something more than just I'm poor and I need to steal or, uh, you know, a, a, an employer-employee uh, grievance or whatever it happens to be. Uh, Here's the, the line. Yeah. Here's the, the line. If I just walk outside my door and walk outside my house right now, I would feel safe just walking down the street by myself alone and just minding my own business. I nothing would happen to me. Yeah. I could feel easy about it. Can you say the same? So in 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 parts of in parts of South Africa that is absolutely true as well. Uh both Ramon and I live in middle class suburbs uh and I think you know from from for my part I'd be more than happy any time of the day to walk out of my house. Nighttime could be a slightly different, uh, slightly different story. Yeah, but you get you get you get used to it, so to speak. I mean, as a general, the white population gets murdered the least. The, the suburban population in South Africa, uh, the yeah. farm, the white farm population is a separate category altogether. Mm-hmm. But um, so stepping into their shoes, and to be, I mean, story after story that they tell mm. or. About their situations has that common theme of being in this general state of discomfort and worry and unease just every day. It sounds like absolute hell. Well, and and justifiably so. I mean, every day I, you know, I'm I text my wife, uh, make sure that she gets to where she's going. But you, I mean, how can I explain? It's something that you just do. You get used to it. I don't see it as strange anymore. But um. As for what to do about it, for farmers specifically, I, I struggle with sometimes they request the state to do more. And we know very well the state doesn't care at all. The police are in shambles. The police can't afford to pay overtime. I mean, it, they're completely bankrupt. That's how bad it is. Um, so people like AfriForum, you know, they organize communities to look after their own. And I think that is the way forward. So people should arm Indeed. themselves and people should organize around their communities, around their farms, mm. to protect themselves. And I think that is a far superior option than petitioning the state. And, and Self-empowerment. Yeah, absolutely. And it has been shown to be quite effective. Uh, you know, the, the reason you're hearing about a, a lot of these crimes is because it's through that network, and it's through that network they're being reported. And, and, and some of the crimes are being interrupted or disturbed because what's happening is they've set up radio networks between uh, farms, and so if uh, someone's home is being sort of broken into, uh, they will contact someone else and, and, and help will arrive uh, hopefully in, in time. Um, so that is happening. I just, just that genocide point is, is, I just want to finish on that, which is 
mm-hmm. you know, the reason we we don't we say it's we don't agree with the genocide argument is just by definition, there's not an organised campaign necessarily. So there are clearly syndicates which are targeting farmers, but the government is not specifically targeting farmers. Yes, someone like Julius Malema could care less about farmers. Probably, I don't know if he does or doesn't, but I don't imagine he sheds too many tears over dead farmers. But the government itself, it's not that they support the slaughter of the farmers. It's just that they are completely and utterly useless to do anything about it. They they couldn't care less. But they equally couldn't care about the people Ramon was talking about in that in that area in, in the Cape. And, and they equally couldn't really care about the crime in my area. My area, I'm safe to walk in. You asked about it. Because all of the residents pay for a essentially a, a vehicle which drives around the area with guys who are mercenaries. There's no other way to put it. You hire your own um, militia. And they, exactly. And they, they carry basically AR-15s and uh, they patrol the suburb and, and that's what makes my suburb safe. So, um, I think, I think it doesn't take away from the fact that farm murders are happening, the fact that the that farmers are definitely being terrorized. I think that that's absolutely true. But the biggest problem we have is, um, you know, if something happens uh, in international media and it's getting picked up on and then the wrong description is being used, for example, genocide. Um, our media very quickly here dismiss it because they easily rip apart the genocide part of it and ignore the rest. Um, so I think it's so important that, uh, and it uh, certainly is very appreciate, appreciated the 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 traction that a lot of these stories are getting in the U.S., the U.K., Australia, uh, and and all the other countries that show interest. Um, but it 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 needs to be as factual as possible so that it I'm cannot be discredited. Careful. I'm fairly careful about using the word genocide, but when I say things like targeting whites. I think I can get away with that based on how, like, you're right. Julius Malema is apathetic, but even so, in his acts of apathy, his followers and supporters are impressionable. They will take even the apathetic actions of that man at face value, and and they will use that to embolden themselves to go out and do these things. Maybe so, um, but without evidence, we, we can't know. Um, there have been a few court cases where farm attackers have been arrested, and some have said, you know, I heard that we even need to, you know, attack the white man and take his stuff because some politician said so. Uh, but it's very difficult to, to prove motivation and intent from a state power in this. So that's why we I, I, that's why we're very suspicious it, of the genocide claim generally. Uh, yeah, I, I'm just saying that's where this nuance is here. Yeah. I think while it, it may be difficult to whole 100% prove this, I think it's feasible in this sort of situation yeah. to be able to. I, I think it's 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 perfectly feasible to to say that you know white farmers are being targeted and that may very well be because of their race i don't think that that's un- unreasonable as a statement um yeah I, you know that's that, that's not really a problem i, I think the, the the bigger issue is is the the argument being had about all of those tiny nuances while we have essentially the people who feed us um, being murdered wholesale 
Uh, and and look, you know, while I uh, applaud the Australians for for being considerate of this whole issue, uh, they would pick up a whole bunch of very qualified farmers, um, and and South Africa would be left in, in relative ruin if if a lot of our farmers were to leave. Now, I and would fully that's true too. Would fully understand most people overseas going well. You you got what you asked for. You know, you didn't create a safe environment for people, so they leave. Uh, that's perfectly understandable. We've had a massive brain drain in this country over 20 years, basically. We've lost thousands upon thousands, in fact, tens of thousands of engineers, doctors, oh, scientists. Millions. Millions of um, entrepreneurs have you know, left. Who, I mean, Elon yeah, Musk is one example. Greater, yeah. I, I think that's the greater travesty here, too. Yeah. So, so you, you know, the, this country actually has had a lot of potential. It had a lot more, I would argue. Um, it still has potential, but unfortunately, a lot of that is being scuppered by uh, just very, very poor political decision-making. And uh, people are now – well, there's some of that. And, and look, now there's just fear, right? So so I think that that's, that's a fair um, observation, which you, you sort of alluded to earlier, which is people are quite nervous and quite scared of, of what – is the future of this country. So a lot of the reason for immigration previously was, well, we're not sure where it's going to go. We had a lot of people leave in the mid nineties because Nelson Mandela took over. People thought there would possibly be a civil war. They thought even if there wasn't a civil war, there was going to be a whole bunch of um, sort of negative effects on their lives. And so a lot of people left those negative effects didn't seem to take um, hold either at all or even at first. Some of them have come subsequently. Um, but now I think there's a much more direct threat. You know, this this expropriation uh, notion is is a direct threat to people's livelihoods. Um, the 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 certainly the our, our stability from a farming perspective is is a is a threat. And someone like Julius Malema, who who as I said, doesn't have a lot of votes towards his name, but is heavily amplified in our press. Uh, makes people feel very uncomfortable. Quite. And I really, uh, my position on this sort of thing is when it comes to that, you know, the fact that people are already in fear, it's already gone too far. Yeah. Uh, In sort of Western society, this idea is, the idea we have is, that people deserve to have their happiness and, you know, the right to property for one. And, you know, that's being impeded in South Africa's case here. But with sort of the general stability dynamic that our, our Western country ha- countries have, both in the United States and Europe, that is the focal point which decides people being content or in a state of unrest. And I think you guys are, are spiraling towards the unrest part of this. I'm, I don't know. I, I'm not too sure, to be fair. Uh, I mean, I can leave tomorrow. I got dual citizenship, but I choose to stay here because actually it's actually quite nice. Uh, the, the problem, the problem I fear that you're having, Nick, is you're looking at it from your from America, which is, you know, we can say a lot of things about it, but you got the Second Amendment, the First Amendment, the right to property, the right to trade is, is really entrenched within the culture. That has never been the case here, ever. It's never been the case. We've had uh, national socialism, basically, for the past hundred years. And before yeah, that... Blatant, 
blatant communism. Right. I mean, even even doing the so-called, you know, white supremacist apartheid, just national socialism. If a white person existed, lived in South Africa, and and their twin lived in the Netherlands, they would be rich in the Netherlands. So despite this uh, white, I mean, apartheid was white supremacy writ large. And was still shit. <laughs> People were still of poor. Of course. You know what I mean? So yeah. there's never been this tradition of strong individual rights, strong property rights, let alone strong uh, rights to firearms. I mean, now it's more difficult than ever. It's taken me almost 10 months to get my firearm licensed. Jeez. 10 months. Yeah. You have to do a test. You have to write an exam. Uh, you have to lodge all that. It takes three, four months to approve. Then it takes another two months to print the card, and then you can go pick up your gun. I mean, they make it really difficult. And I got, you and, know, and you have to prove that you actually have to have the gun. You have to like motivate for it. It's not yeah. just I want one. You have to write an essay about why you need one. I, I'm, I'm, I always want to say, just look at the crime stats, fuckers, and then you know, just leave it at that. But then they will reject me. So I need to make up a whole other story about why I need the gun. Uh, so you have a government who is deeply, deeply controlling. They don't trust individual black people to do what's best for them. They moaned in parliament the other day that, you know, we give black, we give our people, i.e. black people, we give them land and then they just sell it. We can't have that. I mean, how dare black people have agency, you know? <laughs> how dare black people trade? Uh, and this is the sort of government we have. We have this collective socialist, de- uh, what's it called? Deregiste kind of state. So. Yeah, that's another thing. Yeah. If you give, um, you know, in the end of this expropriation prop- process and giving black people land, you you don't give them the motivation to want to farm in that. You just give them land and yeah, but, but, it happens but, but to be Nick, farmland. Nick, in this state, who the fuck wants to be a farmer in this day and age? I mean, for, I God's, know, right? I mean, for God's sake. I mean, to, to assume that, that the height of civilization in Africa is for black Africans to be subsistence farmers is fucking ludicrous. But this is what the, this is what the fucking government thinks is is legitimate. But no, urbanized. We get three thousand people a day moving to Johannesburg, our biggest city. Those people are leaving farmlands to come to the city and find work and get married and settle down in the city because it's fucking nicer. You don't want to live on a piece of shit shithole property with potatoes and two chickens. I'm sorry, but that's what the government says is the way to go. So it's fucking 1930s Soviet Union thinking. That's exactly what it is. I grew up on a farm. I grew up on a farm so I can relate. Reminded too. I grew up on a farm too. And it was great because there's a lot of space to run around. But, you know, when you get to the city, there's like nightclubs and girls and drinking and it's a lot more fun. You know what I mean? Yeah, right? Exactly. But this is what the government thinks. The government thinks and, black people want to be fucking subsistence and, farmers. And, and in fact, Nick, um, you know, if we look at if we look at – what's happened in this country which is the 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 history of this country is uh roughly uh 350 years old um and basically you had a when i say the history of this country i mean the very documented history obviously it goes back long before that um yes of course but but uh but you, what you've got is you've got a guy called Jan van Riebeek who uh pulls his ship up to the 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 cape uh, just near Cape Town, uh, back in the 1600s. And he, he rocks up in the 1600s. And of course, he, um, quickly comes upon, uh, upon a whole bunch of natives. It's not a dissimilar story to Columbus. Um, and actually what initially happens is they start trading 
And they also start sleeping with each other, which is why we have this population of colored people, um, I might add. Um, and, um, basically there's a there's a lot of history into all of this so there is some conquest that happens whereby people are dispossessed of land through violent means um, but there's also a hell of a lot of bargaining so there were black chiefs who owned uh, large swathes of land uh, kind of like wakanda um <laughs> since that's topical uh, so so they, they you know and 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 what had happened was settlers had arrived and they needed they wanted land to set up their families to farm etc and there were actually title deeds that were uh, uh, negotiated and agreed upon um between between these people in addition to that forget the the white sort of settlers and colonialists what you have is a whole bunch of black tribes who for centuries have been fighting with each other, violently fighting with each other. In fact, one of the, the leaders is world famous, a guy by the name of Shaka Zulu, um, who led the Zulu nation and, and, and was, was, was basically the Napoleon of Africa. He killed um, over 1.1 million blacks. During his reign. And he's a Whoa. hero. And he's a hero, of course. And he, he conquered land. And some of the land he conquered um, is land he took away from people from other tribes who happen to be black people. Um, so the land issue is actually quite complicated. And unfortunately, we're not having that kind of comple complex discussion. But our government did try to go through a process of restitution. So we have a an entire system set up whereby if you believe that, you know, in the 1800s, someone arrived, took away your land. And no, don't. No, 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 no. It was after 1913. So if you have proof that, that your family owned land, that and it was dispossessed uh, by force or without compensation by the previous government, you could lay a claim with the state and the state will uh, negotiate with the current owner to buy it from them and to give it to you. But they don't give it to you under ownership. They give it to you as a, as a, as a title. So you basically live on it, but you can't actually own it, which is one problem. And what did they find out? Out of 10, 9,000 claims, 93% yeah. of the people just took the cash. I said, I don't want the fucking land. I just want the money. And that is unacceptable, of course, to the government. Uh, but of course you would want to take the money. What the fuck are you going to do with land? <laughs> yeah. So, right. so the land issue is very complex. And that complexity isn't actually being discussed at, at all. Um, and one of the major problems we have is sort of an educational issue around this topic and multiple topics because um, we have a, a essentially a socialized educational system uh, which uh, the government ma is running and it's basically just slowly gotten worse over the last few decades. Uh, and so uh, to the point that when people, you know, the pass mark was 50%. So then, you know, that people were failing, too many people were failing. So then they dropped the pass mark to 40%. And then too many people were still failing. So now the pass mark currently sits at 30%. What's the point? Um, well, the point is we all end up equally stupid, Nick. You see, that's, that's always the point of socialism. Ultimately, it ends in communism where we all end up equally dumb and equally starving. Um, and, and, and that is unfortunately, um, you know, part of the problem is a lot of these arguments are being had with people who simply do not have the logic and reasoning skills to have these conversations. So Julius Malema is a great example. Um, Julius Malema barely passed high school. Um, he got a G. That's a G symbol. So whatever comes off the what? F, yeah, he got a G symbol for, for woodworking. Um, 
this is this is the guy who is the leader of the third most powerful party in the country. Not as I said, six percent, but still, he's he 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 holds power. We don't even have G's here in the United States. Yes, I'm, I'm aware of that. I'm aware of that. But so you you need to understand that you know that's the context we're working in, and and our government has, you know, it's 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 interesting because there's there's very controversial comments occasionally made by people um, that certain things were better during apartheid, even for black people. I don't think that that's true, but I don't think that some areas of, of our society have improved enough um, as they should have in comparison to a government who, ca- who didn't care for black people versus a government that is a black government that should care for um, all of their citizens, but should, and has said they obviously are looking at these people who were oppressed for so long and nothing that gets provided to majoritarily black people is of good quality. The education here, the public education is terrible. The public health care is terrible. Um, the, the public transport is terrible. Uh, all of the public things that are accessible to the majority of, of South Africans are quite shocking um, and in fact, we're a, you know, we're a good argument for why private is the way to go on everything because we obviously have private, uh, institutions which mirror all of our public institutions and most of those work very well. In fact, uh, our education system is superb. If you go to a private school, um, you know, equivalent to anything in the United Kingdom or Australia, uh, our healthcare here is, uh, our, 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 our private healthcare is ranked in the top 10 in the world. Um, including amongst the Scandinavian countries that Americans love, you know, socialists in America love to cite. Um, Here in Cleveland, we have the Cleveland Clinic, which is pretty much renowned worldwide, yeah. apparently. Yeah. Yeah, I'm aware of the Cleveland Clinic. Is that the one with the with the prices on boards in the front? It's like cash only. <laughs> no. What? No. No, <laughs> no I'm, I mean, I'm thinking about Colorado. No, there's a there's a hospital that only accepts cash. Basically, and everything's like really, really cheap to do. So they say like knee replacement, whatever, five thousand dollars. You pay with your credit card, you get the operation, and then you you claim back from your medical insurance, and your medical insurance pays out like fifteen thousand dollars or whatever their rate is for the knee replacement. Uh, so yeah, but I'm thinking of a different one. <laughs> yeah, but I'm looking it up, and it's apparently in Oklahoma. There we go. One. Oklahoma, Colorado. That is, that is in Oklahoma. <laughs> Typical. Isn't it? Bloody African. Isn't Colorado in Oklahoma? <laughs> no. No. Where is it then? Not at all. Where is Colorado? Um, it's a different state. Colorado. Colo- yeah. Colorado and Oklahoma, it's like one, Colorado is like a mountain yes. area. Yes. And like Aspen is in like, Colorado. Is where it? They, where you go skiing. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, and Oklahoma is more like a, a, a like you know a flatland sort of thing. Oh, is that where all the racists live that Hillary Clinton was talking about the other day? <laughs> uh, the, the further south you go, the more likely it is to be true. And then you hit Florida, and then that's where the retirees live. Uh, apparently, um, there's a, a guy called Thaddeus Russell. This is way off topic, but I don't care. Um, he's a historian. He runs a, his own podcast called Unregistered. It's really good, and he wrote a book about the. the called the renegade history of the United States. And he argues that race relations in the South are actually a lot better than they are in the North because in the South, whites and blacks are often quite the same in terms of, of income and culture. They have the same culture. In the North, you've got the fucking the jocks and you know everyone else. So his argument is that the South is actually far better for race relations than one would think. 
I would argue yes. Uh-huh. I, I think in the South, they're much more realistic with each other about things and don't beat around the bush. You know what I mean? And Nick, and that is a great analogy for everyday living in South Africa. You know, I walk, I walk in, in, in Johannesburg itself because I do work and I walk everywhere. You just meet people who just want to get on in life. You speak to the average South African of any color. What do they want? A job, food on the table, education for the kids, uh, you know, happy retirement and maybe travel once a year. That is the goal of 80, 85% of this country. And the politics, unfortunately, does not adequately explain that. But the ideology of the politics just just takes over. Uh, the I media, think that's the road to ruin. I think that's the road to ruin here. Yeah, because you got you actually got a lot of uh, – what is the best way to explain it? The majority are – they know what they want, but they're quiet. You know what? Silent majority. Exactly. That's the term. Uh, so this podcast, what you're trying to do is get the silent majority to actually, like, you know, wake up and, and you know, take a stand. It's getting there, but uh, very slowly. But as the data, you know, bears out in our favor, most people just want to get on in life. They don't give a shit about race. They don't give a shit about, like, you know, race quotas in sports and affirmative action and any of this other bullshit or land reform. According right. To, according, and, according to some data, only two percent of respondents to a survey care about land reform. Two percent out of fifteen thousand. The thing with all that is, is this silent majority that's out there listening. It, there comes a point where the politically agitated come after the common man or woman's, you know, lifestyle. The the, the very day to day things that make that makes things tick, that makes things normal, that is put at stake eventually. Yeah, but unfortunately, if you're silent, and, and uh, I mean, all over the world this happens, but perhaps here is, it's more it's more relevant. People don't, you know, think too deeply about their own thoughts on things. So they could be very well, you know, co-opted by the narrative. So they never thought about land reform in their whole life, ever. And then the politician says, you know what, it's very important. Land reform is very important for X, Y, and Z reasons. And we're going to pass the law and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And then if you never really thought about land reform, you get an argument. You're like, oh, okay, maybe that's right. So fine, I'll support land reform. But it's not, an, a, it's not a decision made with any knowledge or context or historical context, God forbid. It's just, you know, go with the flow kind of thing. And that's the most dangerous. Um, and that's aspect. what they take advantage of. Indeed. Oh, very they much so. The, the politically ag agitators, they know that, and they basically try to, you know, sugarcoat their, their, their desires in, in a way that make it sound reasonable. But under, underneath, that's where the, the more meticulous acts, aspects of things really start to pan out. Yeah, look, also from my perspective is you, you've got a government here which keeps promising its citizens freebies. Um, so, you know, every, every five years is, is when our elections are. And, um, when we first had an election the first time around, it, it, everyone just wanted freedom. That, that's all they wanted promised. So they got freedom. That was 1994. And then for 1999, what they really wanted was a house. Um, so the government promised them houses and, and, and just a side note on those, they built them, built them something called RDP houses. They built millions of these things. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, 
it wouldn't pass any kind of um, technical inspection um, in any Western country, the, the houses that were built for these people. And what's more, uh, they didn't even get given title deeds to their homes. So they got given these houses on this land, but the government ultimately still owned both the land and the houses. Um, so that was the sort of 1999 um, kind of deal. Um, and you, so they keep promising these things. And then 2004 – I'm trying to remember what social what, grants, man. Oh yes, 2004 was going to be was was big on grants and and uh, so basically, if you have a kid and you can't afford the kid, then we're going to pay for the, you to have the kid. Um, but you must understand that the problem is is we have a tax base here. So of the 50 million people, only about seven million people pay tax. Of that seven million, about 450 thousand pay the majority of the tax. Income tax. So so in other words, you've got. Anywhere from basically uh, one and a half to two million people funding most of the country. Um, and so when the government tries to fund something, they can never do it properly because there actually isn't enough money to run this sort of socialist welfare state. Uh, so every promise the government makes never quite fulfills the promise. Um, the house they're going to give you is shit. The grant they're going to give you is shit. Um, and then what ultimately happens is they've run out of things to promise. So now we're promising uh, things that we shouldn't be promising, things like land, for example, or um, some sort of we're selling some sort of race war um, to kind of fill the gap on actual real delivery to the people. That's dangerous, man. <laughs> yeah, no, it's that absolutely is very, dangerous. very dangerous. Well, I mean, don't forget that ANC was trained by the KGB, yeah? In the Soviet Union, yeah. half of these fucks in Parliament have degrees from the University of Moscow and some other godforsaken place in Eastern Europe. Uh, that's where they went. So they know exactly what they're doing. Um, it's it's. How can I explain? Does it Go it's illogical. It's well, ideological. Illogical. Illogical. Well, like. If they're so educated, why are they basically setting themselves up for this sort of ruin? Oh, Nick, never, never <laughs> conflate education with wisdom, sir. <laughs> and and also, just to make a note, which true. is these people <laughs> that are, inverted commas, setting themselves up for failure are not setting themselves up for failure. So all of our leaders are very, very wealthy. Um, every one of them is, is very well looked after. Uh, most of them are doing corrupt deals on the side of government. Um so they're making extra money on the side as well. Um, none of them will ever be in poverty. Make no mistake about that. Uh, you know, you've got the, you've got the situation, uh, you, that might be known more to, to American listeners. You look at somewhere like Zimbabwe where Robert Mugabe and his people were never poor and they were never starving. Um, and so, uh, we're in no different a position in South Africa where our politicians are the elite and they are wealthy and, uh, they will never be in, the position that they place every other citizen in and specifically the poor, because obviously as the country decays, the people that suffer most are those with the least amount of resource to kind of compensate. And that's always going to be the poor. Right. So anything else, Nick, anything else you want to know from our, from, from your side? I want to, Hmm. I, I think, what do you see? Uh, Five years on from all this. Okay, I let both of us answer because I think Ramon and I have different answers. I just see more of the same shit, but without real, um, without real change. Um, and, and so, they, for me, there won't be a revolution. There won't be a civil war. 
for for three or four specific reasons. A police force is utter shit. They shoot each other um, in like shootouts rather than the robbers. There's video of this on oh YouTube. Go, go check them out. I mean. For, I'm looking that up. I mean, you think you American forces in Iraq had friendly fire? Wait till you see ours. Um, so they are terrible. Not not well trained. Not anything. Our army is uh, fat, bloated. Half them have AIDS. So no real threat. Nothing against people with AIDS. Um, what else? What else? There's a task force. Our navy's utter shit. Our submarines haven't moved in 20 years. Uh, so yeah. So there's no real security force, and there's Three to four million licensed gun owners and about nine to 12 million unlicensed gun owners in this country. So if the government had to somehow try to crack down on something, they're not going to get very far. And most people, as I said before, most people get along quite well. They're not interested in politics. They're not interested in land reform. They just want to get ahead. Uh, without stomping, interesting. without stomping on others to get ahead. Um, I, I was at a farm two weeks ago. I went hunting and, um, this uh, farmer, the farmer has been in his family for three generations now. You know, has had workers for forty years, um, pays them well. It's got you know, hundreds of people on this massive, massive farm. I said, you know, what are you, what are your thoughts? He says, you know what, through apartheid we had a you know twenty one percent interest rate. Uh, through apartheid we had. Um, what are they called? Embargoes, sanctions, all sorts of things. Life was much tougher back then than today. You know, today is much easier to trade and make money than at any time during the course of, of apartheid 30, 40 years ago. So if you actually speak to someone like that, you're like, okay, maybe, you know, maybe shit isn't that bad. And besides, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of private organizations, farmers unions, gun rights activists, uh, trade unions, um, more on the Afrikaans trade unions. <clears throat> Think tanks, they will they take the government to court for absolutely everything, every single little thing. The government's in court and they always lose, and our judiciary is still alive and uh, awake. So personally, I don't think anything will come out of this. I'm more nervous now than ever before. I'm expecting the worst, but I don't think it will happen. But I'm acting like the worst will happen. If that makes sense. That's interesting, and I, I feel like I learned a lot here today. Yeah, I'm going to give a slightly different perspective to close it out because I'm a little bit more negative than Ramon, just in the sense that I don't think the economics can hold. Um, so I, I agree with him. I don't think there's going to be any kind of massive violence. Um, but I do think that everything that's happened in this country in regards of limiting rights has happened legislatively. Um, so they've never done it through violent means. They just pass a law. And because the ANC controls 60% of the parliament and together with Julius's party, uh, they control 66%, which is enough to make constitutional amendments uh, on what is essentially the Canadian constitution. Cause we basically copied it almost word for word. Um, that's a bummer. Yeah, it is a bit of a bummer. If only we'd copied the Americans. Um, but, <laughs> but, uh, the, the, they, they are going to basically probably legislate. I would bet on them legislating the expropriation um, of land. To do that, they have to remove a clause in our constitution about private property rights. Uh, once that happens, I think all investment, um, drop in this country falls to pieces. Uh, and unfortunately, that's when, our economy is going to probably spiral. Our inflation is going to go through the roof and we will be somewhere between where Zimbabwe was about 15 years ago and where Venezuela is now. Um, when that happens, obviously anyone who can get out will get out. Those who can't will stay. 
and they will subsist as best as they can. Um, and uh, unfortunately, that's where I see it going. Uh, and uh, we we will see who's right, I guess. Yeah, but here's another. And as- I guess- sorry, Nick, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I have like a closing thought too, but if you have another aspect, you should go first because then yeah, it, I mean, it makes more sense. For the, we live in a, in the world of the internet, right? We live in the world of the cryptocurrencies. We live in the world of 3D printing. We don't, my dream is for South Africa just to break up into ethno states. <laughs> for those who want to live in an ethno state. Ramon should have told you he's an anarchist. Yes, I am an anarchist. Um, but I, I mean, I don't see the national government having power for forever. Um, they just don't have that, the manpower and the resources to do it. The, the only, the only thing, the only reason why we're not, and you know, uh, broken up is because the population is very meek and so, and you know, and uh, they take orders very well, like good little slaves that they are. So before any real danger is, I mean, if, if the constitution is changed and if they want to expropriate land, they are going to get fucked the hell up. By landowners, and most of them are black. So, <laughs> I just don't see this happening. That's all. Cool. Two perspectives okay. there for you, Nick. And both of them are n- <laughs> not really it's sunshine and rainbows. And I think that's what the yeah. silent majority needs to take into account here. It's for you know, the common folk out there have to realize that the to carry on with their day-to-day lives is not going to be such a, I mean, it's not going to be the probable option anymore. I mean, it's spiraling towards a point of some kind of a bad, bad outcome here. Yeah. I I think if you're sitting in the U S that's, that's not an unfair thing to say. And I I think it's important uh, to, to note that, People don't often realize the, the the change in their environment or they adapt very well. Humans are incredibly good at adaptation. Um, of course. And, uh, you know, I, I have I have family and friends in, in Zimbabwe who some of whom still live there. And, uh, you know, they would come to South Africa and tell me about how they only flush their toilet once a week because they only have the, you know, the water only gets turned on once a week. Ugh. Um, so you, they, they collect buckets and then they, they do that, but they only flush it sort of from the mains once a week. And, and they think of it as exactly you go, you and, 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 and I'm going, that's completely insane. And they're going, no, no, it's not so bad. Um, and so I think a lot of the things, um, generally don't happen overnight. Um, they happen over time and people don't realize that this is kind of an abnormal way to exist given your options in the world. Um, I want to stress, I want to stress, no matter what is going to happen, having people come online and just join this discussion in South Africa, be they in the West Mm. or the country itself, Mm -hmm. I think the more perspectives and more conversations absolutely, and and the more knowledge that people get in the situation and network with each other, I think... To at least gives better odds and chances 
No, absolutely. absolutely. We've already seen that, you know, um, with from, uh, Lauren Southern, Katie Hopkins, Peter Dutton's comments, um, already, even though the reaction has been very negative from our government, obviously protective and, and trying to protect their reputation, the fact that they're having to protect their reputation may have very real impacts on the inside of this country so that things don't happen as rapidly or don't happen as badly. Um, so I agree with you 100%. It's, it's, it's definitely important that people are discussing this. Um, the fact that there's focus here is, is, is really important. And, um, I don't want to take away from any of the problems that there are very real problems. Um, and we are definitely grateful that that's, that's a discussion point. If you have a mouth, you can talk. If you have fingers, you can type on a keyboard. And if you have eyes, you can see what people are saying. Mm-hmm. And if you have ears, you can hear them. And that's all you need. That is the only barrier to getting involved in this sort of discourse. That is all you need. You don't need any sort of superpower. You don't need any sort of skill. All you need is yourself. It uh, sums it up beautifully. Nick, we're going to leave it there. Thank you very, very much for, for joining us. Um, just one favor. Uh, can you ask Donald to, to also just, you know, have an executive order to allow white refugees from South Africa? <laughs> just for, just for trolling. Just, for just in case. Oh, my word. That will be phenomenal. Imagine the president tweeting about white refugees from South yeah, Africa. Our, uh, our, our left wing media and politicians would lose their minds. Absolutely Everyone, lose their minds. They, yeah, there would be volcanoes. He- there'd be going head off. explosions everywhere. I, I would love for that to happen. So, so just tweet at him. Just say, you know, yeah. think about the the poor white genocide. You know, the white genocide in South Africa. Just ignore everything you heard. You heard here, and just say, you know, white just genocide. Just ramp it up all the way, and uh, let him tweet I, I, about it. I'll tweet him the Guardian article and ju- about uh, Peter Peter Dutton's comments, and just say, take a hint. <laughs> perfect, perfect. That, that will make my year. Nick, uh, an absolute pleasure. Thanks for coming on. I, I'm I'm honored to be here, and I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me and have me on. It's an absolute pleasure. And it's a humbling experience to step outside my box and get a new perspective. Well, thanks, Nick. I mean, and if you want to, just come come over here and join us, man. We'll show you the place. It's quite wild. I, I have to say, you know, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. All right. Well, if you can get the funding, we'll we'll happily host you. Yeah, I mean, people can people donate to my PayPal and for these sorts of projects and you know adventures. So yeah, cool. Uh, you you want to tell people where they can find you? I am Nick Monroe, Nickmon eleven twelve on Twitter, and that is my center hub of activity. And my, my PayPal is the same name of that and I have a website called nickmonroe.blog where I occasionally write articles and stories of stuff that interests me be they movies, comic books or video game related topics politics too Cool. anything great, alright, thanks so much and uh, chat to you next time cheers Nick adios I think it was quite an interesting conversation Ramon uh, yeah, quite. I mean, hopefully, um, if international media does report on South Africa, that uh, it remains as objective as uh, as not that we are the most objective people around. We got our own biases, but um, yeah, I'm glad that we could have a conversation with a someone who is deeply interested in this country that's not from this country. So that's refreshing, mm. and to hopefully clear up uh, some misconceptions. 
uh, confirm others, I suppose, uh, confirm other theories, uh, and give a bit more insight because uh, it's complex. Yes, as with uh, yeah, as with, as most with everything, as with most things. I mean, if you, uh, I actually didn't tell Nick, but I mean, compare us to 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 real war zones. We're like nowhere close, right? This is not Syria. This is not. Uh, oh no, it could always get worse. Yeah, I don't know if that's know, a great pick. It's, it's, not, it's not Palestine, <laughs> and it's, it's, we're not the Rohingya in Burma by any means. Um, yeah, but we can work through it. I would think. Right, Ramon, more positive than Jonathan. That's uh, who, who who would have thought. If you did like this podcast, you are welcome to support us. We are on Patreon, uh, Patreon forward slash Renegade Report. Uh, we appreciate any of your donations, which we use to improve the podcast, get guests onto the show. Uh, as always, you can find us on Twitter at Renegade underscore Report, on Facebook, both as a page and as a Renegade Report discussion group, where we have multiple discussions about the show and about um, other related topics. Uh, you can find Ramon at Roman Kabanak on Twitter, myself at Jonathan underscore Witt. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next time. This is cliffcentral.com.